Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. This morning uh, we are joining, are going together to our, in our last message in uh, this message series on hospitality. And uh, what we're going to do this morning is uh, start off by, uh, well, we're going to land the plane with communion. And that's convenient for us, or it, it works well for us, because not only does it happen to be our first Sunday of the month, go God for delaying a week for this Sunday to be here, uh, that we could have communion. But I, I think it fits perfectly with this idea of hospitality, because as we finish up this series on hospitality, where we're talking about welcoming in people from our, our community, people that are far off from God, what we are reminding ourselves in this whole series is that we started with the idea that hospitality is not something that we try to do on our own, it's a response out of what God has already done for us. The idea that God was first hospitable to us and welcomed us to his table is something that we remind ourselves of this morning. So in a little bit, we will move, after the message, we'll move towards communion. But this morning, the message title is, The Harvest is Ripe for Hospitality. It's interesting that this is the week also where Revive is here, Anne is here, and, and I know Josh is over at Cornerstone where I was just doing the message there and, and kind of helping them out. And they had some missionaries that they were sending out. And I, I, I think it's so fitting that all these things are kind of piling up to say, hey, this is a week about going. This is a week that hospitality has to do with going to the world with the mission that is the kingdom to be built. So the harvest is ripe for hospitality. That's our message. And we'll see Jesus mentioning the harvest in just a moment in our text. But before we go there, I want to just go before the Lord and, and just ask him to uh, just open our, eye, our hearts, our ears, our minds as we listen to his word this morning. So we'll join in prayer. Father God, we thank you this morning that we can gather in this place. We, we do thank you that we can gather. In a way, we, we miss coming together with our church family last week. And, and Lord, that might not always seem like a big deal, but Lord, it's a joy to worship with these people, to come together as a people. And, and we know that where your, your spirit, as it's here, that it sharpens us together. Lord, I thank you that we can gather together and sing songs praising your name. That we can give our offering, our tithes to you, and, and, and we can gather around your table a little bit later to remember the, the meal that you started with your disciples. Lord, I, I pray for the ears and the hearts of the people here. I, I think that, Lord, you want me to cast the dark and the enemy and the distraction focus in and we can really hear how hospitality is part of your mission, both to the church and to the world around us. Lord, we thank you so much that you cared for us enough to send your son, that Jesus, you came for us, that you went to a cross to die and to rise again, and now you sit at the right hand of Father Jesus, encouraging us on in this life that you live, us as the church, both together and Live a life that honors you and brings you honor. 
Lord, this time I just leave it before you and say, uh, take my words and, and may they be an aroma to you. Take our hearts and, and let them hear and be transformed by the Spirit as they need to be. Lord, do your work in us. Matthew chapter 9, and I want to start off by reading verses 35 through 38. This is not my main text that I want to look at, but I want to start here as we go and look at something else in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it reads like this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That text is familiar, especially if you are familiar with our our missions agency, Multiply, within the MB world, there are many of us who set our watches to remind us to pray this verse, to send out laborers into the harvest field. Daily, we ask God for that. This verse of, of, hey, the the harvest is ready, It's, it's there for the taking, is something that Jesus asks us to pray for great missions verse, and it all stems from Jesus looking out at the world around him, the people who are lost and like sheep without a shepherd, those who are strangers from him, who he wants to say, come and be part of my family, be welcomed in to my hospitality, be welcomed into my family. Jesus looks and he tells his disciples, pray for them, pray for the harvest, pray for those that are now strangers who I desire to make family and call my brothers sisters and call my children. The harvest is ripe and ready, and and Jesus says that to his disciples, and he says, pray for it. Pray for laborers to be sent. Now, oftentimes we can think of the harvest as being out there, over there, somewhere. Uh, It could be as we prayed for missionaries in Thailand, it, it could be there, and truly the harvest is there, and it is ripe and ready over there for people to come to know Jesus. But I sometimes think, as we think about the harvest, that when we think of it out there, we sometimes miss the fact that the harvest is right in our own backyard. An interesting thing from this week, Susanna and I, we had the great opportunity of going to the little bit warmer Phoenix, Arizona, that was just a a tick warmer than here, um, in that desert there, and we got to enjoy some time away. But one of the cool things that I noticed as we were going through Arizona and Phoenix in the neighborhoods we were living where there were these orange trees just growing in people's backyards. I guess apparently if you have sun all year round, you wouldn't have orange trees in your backyard. Uh, These orange trees, it was was so just, it was eye-opening to see them and and to note these beautiful green trees, and then they're just these bright orange spheres just hanging there ripe. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to have a house where I could just go walk out and pick an orange and peel it and savor and enjoy that uh, that ripe, delicious orange. We have to go to the grocery store for it. We 
know how great the taste of an orange can be, but I wonder if the people in these houses, when they have a tree in their backyard, they kind of forget, take for granted how good the oranges are. In fact, I was walking uh, through the neighborhood we were staying in, and I heard, uh, as I was walking along, this thump, thump of an orange hitting the ground, and, and it was ripe, and it hit the ground, and I noticed all around it were other oranges that had fallen off and were spoiling because they were ripe, but there was no one to pick them. I don't know how this all flushes out theologically, but I just want this image of saying, there are things ripe for harvest, and are they falling off the tree? Are, are they dying before us? Are they ripe and there's no one to pick them? In our own backyard here in Mount Hood. In terms of hospitality, especially, I, I wonder, hey, are the things that God has given us, or can they be tools to bring in the harvest, including, as we've talked about in our hospitality, our house and welcoming people in, or, or specifically our dining room table and having a meal together with them. Are those things God has called us to use to bring in the harvest for Him? We've talked about it in this series that hospitality starts with God's character. He's welcomed us. And it all starts in the beginning of the garden when He has a fellowship meal with Adam. But we broke covenant with Him and He works to redeem it so that at the end of time, in the book of Revelation, we see again us having a meal forever with God. God is in the business of welcoming people to a fellowship meal. And our response is to be hospitable back. We worship to Him, to be hospitable to those in our church. The hospitality starts here as we look at those around us and say, you are no longer strangers, you are family. Uh, I want to be one and to get to know you and care for you as my brother. And then from there it goes out to the world around us on mission. Up on the screen, we'll pop up the definition of hospitality one more time. It's helpful for us to remember that hospitality, as we've defined it for the series, is this critical and consistent act of welcoming strangers to become family by offering what is most needed out of that which God has given us. It's the act of, of living a lifestyle, realizing that there are people who don't know Jesus, and Jesus wants to welcome them in, that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says, I want them to come, and for us to be this, be the people that say, I want you to no longer be a stranger, but I want you to be part of God's family. I want to welcome you into my world, into my life, and bring and give to you out of that which God has given me, both materially and even my time and who I am as a person. With that, it kind of asks the question, that definition, what are the people around us asking? What are they What are they most needing from us? Some of them are needing a relationship with God. I think that that is the paramount thing that people need, because without it, they are lost and will spend, if we're honest, and we choose and we spend time considering, they'll spend in a reality apart from God, apart from anything good, and apart from the love and the mercy and the grace of God. It's not a pleasant thing, and we are called to go and That's where we hope to go in our conversations, but I think to step back and, and, and even door the little things that can be open doors to those gospel, those bigger questions, I think there are neighbors of ours and co-workers of ours and people around us that are just asking, not even about a relationship with God, but they're asking things like, is there anyone around that'll just listen to me, that'll give me a listening ear? 
Is there anyone around me that, that as I, I look at my world, which is full of problems and junk, is there anyone that will just accept me for who I am and, and not judge based on the issues and not look down upon me because I don't have everything figured out? Is there someone in my neighborhood, on my block, our neighbors, I believe, are asking, is there anyone that cares about who I am and will I be loved by anyone? I wonder if even some of our neighbors would welcome the call to say, hey, hey can, I, can I pray for you? What can I pray for you for? Those are things that I think we can a- offer as Christians, as people who have been given so much from God. I think we can respond and give that back to those around us in abundance. And I think we see an example of this in the book of Matthew. I read from verses 35 through 39, but I'll just go up a handful of verses in your Bible to verse 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13 is the call of Matthew, one of the disciples. Matthew also is the guy who wrote the book that we're reading from, the book of Matthew. As we're hearing this, as I read it in a moment, remind yourself that Matthew is the guy holding the pen and penciling this in and giving testimony of what Jesus did in his life. He's sharing about how God transformed him through a calling and then used him as a conduit for gospel proclamation or for people to come and have access to Jesus, his Matthew's Lord and Savior. Matthew 9, it says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Matthew, rose and followed him. Continues on, verse 10. It says, and and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here we have an interaction where Matthew, the writer of this book, he, he kind of has this account with Jesus where he's called into following him, and then he is used again as a conduit for people coming to hear and meet with Jesus. This is a good reminder to just say that this is separate from the calling of the other disciples in the beginning, and in chapter 4, and then it moves into the teachings of Jesus 5 through 7, where we know what we call the Sermon on the Mount, all those teachings about kingdom things. And then after, in chapter 8, Jesus starts to heal and, and speak about welcoming people towards him. And this, this calling of Matthew comes after that. Which if you're reading this from cover to cover, you're hearing this, and Matthew is, is, or Matthew is accounting for all these things that he's learned, and now we get to this tax collector at a booth, sitting at a table, collecting, um, probably dishonestly, from people taxes for the government. This tax collector is probably worse than your local IRS agent because not only is he just collecting taxes and he's probably doing it dishonestly, he's traded on his own people and said, I'm going to go work for the enemy. I'm going to turn my back because I can, I can benefit more from, from siding with them than hanging out with my own people. He is a traitor to be looked down upon. And it probably has given him quite affluence. He's, he's probably worked in this lucrative career where he probably has a very nice home and 
and has things, and, and it's an enjoyable life, at least on the surface. And the question becomes, will this tax collector, this guy who has everything, leave it all to go follow Jesus? Will a rich guy really give up and say, uh, when Jesus calls him, hey, follow me, will you give up everything? He, he, he's, he's saying, I have to give up everything to follow Jesus. Will he do that? And we know that he's being asked this because just a few verses earlier, Jesus has had an account where he, he talks about how the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. In chapter 8, verses 19 through 21 and 22. It says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, another disciple, it says, came up to him and said, first, let me go bury my, my father before I follow you. And Jesus says, no, follow me and, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus, in that account, is saying, you need to prioritize me above your house and above your family if you want to be my disciple. To answer the call means to give up and be open-handed with everything that God has given you. tastes this invitation. He tastes hospitality himself as Jesus calls him to follow him. But what's interesting about it is the very next thing is something that happens in Matthew's house. Here we see that mission is not just a matter of tasting hospitality for ourselves, but hospitality on mission. It, it welcomes sinners to come and dine with Jesus. It welcomes Matthew's friends to come and dine with him. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, we have this passage where Jesus, it says, is reclining at the table in the house. Now, Matthew's gospel doesn't say what house it is, but we find out from some other passages, including Mark's account of it, that this is Matthew's own house. And Matthew is putting on this large feast for Jesus. He, he welcomes him in and says, I'm following you. And now he kind of has this celebration to say, you are my God, you are my Lord. I, I welcome you into my home. I welcome you into the most intimate place uh, of my life, my own home. I welcome you as my honored guest. This is yours, Jesus. He is truly giving up what he has been given. He, he's truly giving up and saying, I want to be open-handed with this before the Lord. So Jesus reclined at table. That is the idea of having this fellowship dinner where you're sitting down. And, and if you were sitting, that meant you were an honored guest. You were special. You weren't a servant or, or a low person who stood out on the walls. If you were at the table, you were honored and special and, and being privileged in that home. Matthew is welcoming Jesus in to meet with him. It says that, again, from this account, this is a great feast. He is not, he, he's not holding back. He's saying, Jesus, I'm giving you what you deserve as my Lord and my Savior. I wonder what Matthew himself had tasted Savior, the fact that while he was tax collecting, there was something there that he said, I, 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 this is a better offer from Jesus. Following you is a better gift. I want to follow you. And he, he gives it up and he says, I'm going to follow this. It's worth more to follow Jesus than all the stuff that the world has to offer. He invites him to dine with him. Now, what's interesting is, for Jesus, is Jesus eats with people a lot. I don't know if you, if you realize 
this, but especially in the book of Luke and, and throughout the Gospels, Jesus has a lot of meals with people. I, I find that fascinating because, because we often remember his teachings. We remember his, his miracles. We remember his, his parables and his prayers. But we kind of forget the major part of his ministry, which was just hanging out and meeting and eating with people. in welcoming people to a table. Now we can say that meals were probably cultural at the time. This was kind of a big deal and part of the culture at the time. But I think that there's something now that even even in today's stand in today's world we have to understand that, that meals are really this kind of great equalizer where people sit face to face and share from the same uh, same uh, plate or from the same casserole dish, if you will. They take and put it on their plate, and there's a community feel as people need to eat. If you are seated together with someone, it doesn't really matter if you are rich or poor, black or white, uh, or whatever else there is, you're there eating the same dish because everyone's got to eat. Son of God, God Himself, who had taken on flesh and come down, and now He is sitting at a table and He is welcoming Matthew to that table and others to that table, and they're all there eating together. Matthew then adds in this word, behold. Some of our translations do not hold, do not add that word, but the ESV thankfully does. Matthew says, Behold, and that is his strategic way of saying, look, take note, something interesting has happened here. Jesus is about to do something super unique and something that you wouldn't expect in the situation. As Matthew is having this party at his house, it says many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. It's as if Matthew wants to say, let's see how Jesus reacts when all these uh, these lowlifes and all these people who are, are terrible, when they start to encroach on this party. How will Jesus react? We get the sense that he welcomes them. Because when he's getting questioned on it later by the Pharisees, he responds with, I care for them, I love them, and he speaks in welcoming terms. He says, I want these people, these broken sinners, tax collectors, here, people who have broken and, uh, and gone and rebelled against their own people, people who have, have, are, are just going away from God's ways. He says, I want them to be welcomed at this table, and he has them, and he fellowships with them, and he probably passed the bread out to them, and I kind of pondered as I prepped today's message, what does that message, what does that meal look like? What is that conversation like? We often think Jesus teaching and just speaking and, and kind of saying all these things. Conversation, they welcome him in. They, hey, tell me your story. Tell me about your life. Tell me what's going on in your world. He, he listened to them and he responded and they probably asked questions and there was a dialogue around this table. I get the sense that it would be a really, it would have been a really cool thing to be there around this table. Sometimes I think in our own, when we're talking about hospitality and having people over and just welcoming them into the world, we set the bar so high, and really we could just even start with welcoming people and saying, hey, tell me your story. 
tell me about your life, tell me about your family, tell me about your hobbies, just tell me about whatever there is that, that, that I can get to know you and you can be more familiar to me and no longer be strangers but be welcomed into my home. I think that that's what Jesus did and I think he wants Matthew even to learn as Matthew is sitting there and Matthew's friends are showing up at this table. Matthew is seeing this interaction and Matthew is learning it because he says, whoa, I need to do this myself. I think there are a few things we can note just in this party as Jesus is here and these people are showing up. Matthew's college buddies and his his frat guys and, and all the people he's done dishonest business with, they're showing up at his door and being welcomed in. And we, we don't know who gave out the invitation list. We don't know if Matthew put it out there and said, hey, come see this guy. Or if Jesus said, hey, invite some of your buddies. Or if they just heard about it and they decided to show up. But we see a couple things. First, Jesus, he's not concerned about his image. He's not concerned about his agenda. He's willing to sacrifice for these people and say, I got time for in fact, a couple chapters later, he's going to, Matthew chapter 11 is going to speak of how Jesus' reputation was even damaged by this. The world started to say, look, Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard. We know that that's not what Jesus was, but that's what the world saw as he, he was in such close proximity and welcoming these people into his world. They say he's a friend with tax collectors and sinners. How could this be a good rabbi? How could this be a good teacher? He welcomes them in and, and associates with them. Which moves on to, I think, an important choice of vocabulary that I, I read in one book on hospitality. It's the idea that Jesus here is accepting them. He's welcoming them in. He's showing them love. Though he may not and probably is not approving of their behavior. He, he's accepting them and saying, you're welcome here, though I don't know if, I, I don't think that that's a good way to live. Ultimately, that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? He accepts us, even though he didn't approve of our behavior. He shows us unconditional love when we don't deserve it. But he says, follow me in my life instead. We also see here in this account of Matthew, as Matthew, again, is connecting his home with this event at his table, we see that Matthew, as he is following Jesus and welcoming Jesus into his world, is now inviting his friends in, and he is becoming a conduit of other people coming to know Jesus and experiencing Jesus possibly for the first time. It's happening in his home. And I think Matthew wants to say, that's what a disciple does. He welcomes people in. People that don't know Jesus yet, he gets on to the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they see this and they call out Jesus. Uh, actually, they call it out to his disciples. They say in verse 11, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, said those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
situation is interesting because in Matthew's story, not only do the tax collectors and sinners start to show up, but also these religious leaders show up. And here, as we see, we start to see that that hospitality on mission looks to heal the hurting and also it hates self-promotion. It's not just the sinners that shows up. It's those religious leaders. It's those who will like to boycott this method of Jesus' ministry. They ask, how could this be a good teacher? How could this be a good rabbi, someone to follow, if he's willing to associate with all these lowlifes? How, how can he be someone that you'd want to follow? And, and it's interesting because he doesn't direct this question at Jesus himself. He directs it at the disciples. As if he's saying, Matthew, Peter, Andrew, why would you follow this guy? Why would you associate with this guy who's letting sinners come in? Guys who have probably cheated on you and and stabbed you in the back and taken taxes from you. Why would you follow him? And I think the answer for them, especially for Matthew, is because I was one of those guys. I was one of those sinners. And Jesus welcomed me in. And so now I, I desire to welcome others in because... There are others like me who are lost and without a shepherd. They need Jesus, and they need to experience the love and the peace that I've experienced from him. As those Pharisees are asking that question, I think and apply it to our own hospitality now and ask, you imagine that there's a world, a culture around us that would say, why would you welcome in people who have nothing to offer you? Why would you welcome in people who are so different than you? Why would you show them hospitality and open up your home, open up meals, or even just say, hey, can I go to coffee with you? But the enemy might even speak in your ear and say, they don't have anything to give, and you don't have anything to give to them. Why would you follow Jesus and welcome them in? I think there's an enemy here in this mission that wants to work against us, and wants to stop us in our tracks in welcoming other people in to experience the kingdom of Jesus here, as Jesus is meeting with these people, his desire is to heal those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are in need of a Savior. And the flip side of it is, is that we need to have that heart that Jesus has for them, or else if we try to step into this hospitality thing, I think what we end up becoming is like Pharisees who, who want to do the religious thing, but we want to do it based off of us looking good. When Jesus is saying, I don't come for the righteous, I don't come for the for those who are well, I come for those who are hurting, and he's challenging these Pharisees by saying, look to Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The idea is of people who were going through the motions and, and doing all the religious things, but they weren't caring for those who were in need. They were missing it, fact that they were showing up in church on Sunday, but they would never welcome in a poor person or someone who was stranger into them, into their world. Is that us? Or if we do welcome people in, are we trying to do it so we look good, so we prop ourselves up? Are we doing it to say, hey, look at how good I am, and welcome them in with my wonderful home? Or do we welcome them in as Jesus is here and say, Jesus has helped me. 
has this encounter with Matthew, and Matthew, I imagine, is watching all the way. He's the one that accounts for these things, and, and, and it speaks to, to his calling to say, this is part of following. This is the way God has used me. Jesus has used me to welcome people in. And then it moves down to what I read earlier in verses 35 to 38. This story of Jesus welcoming people in, it continues on to him going from city to city to city, and you, you see that they're, they're not necessarily Matthew's house anymore, but, but he's sending and going and telling people about the kingdom. And, and he looks around, Jesus does, at all these people who are lost. And he says, man, there's a lot of people. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. Jesus shows us that hospitality starts to understand that this harvest is there and it's part of what we need to do. I think it's interesting that that Jesus uh, here, he, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Now he's God, right? So he could have easily just said, angels come down and blow trumpets and everyone will turn and worship me. But instead he says, no, I'm going to choose you disciples to go forward into this harvest. I, I'm going to choose laborers to go out and and go forward in this. And so even in our prayers, we need to see and acknowledge that this harvest is ready and believe that it is here for us. And that's where I comment that this message is called The Harvest is Right, The Harvest Comes. I think our world is in need of people who are going out to the harvest by bringing people into their harvest. By welcoming people into a place where they can be loved and cared for accepted into a place of love. What's interesting is Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And then we jump down to chapter 10, the next verses. Matthew wouldn't have written in chapter 10, but we would continue on to say this. From there, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send the laborers. And he says, and he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and here it is, Matthew, the tax collector. Interesting, Matthew is the only one of the accounts of the story that adds in tax collector. Matthew acknowledges, I was a sinner. I was a sinner. Jesus called me. He followed me. He invited other tax collectors and sinners into my world, and now he is sending me out in the harvest to go make disciples. He's given me authority to heal and to cast out demons. He's given me uh, the, the uh, authority to have effect on people's life. And if you don't like the idea of casting out demons and healing and diseases, and if that's an important quote, you could go to the end of Matthew's Gospel where again Jesus says, all authority has been given to you. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them word, go make disciples, could be translated to as you are going, or as you are just living life, which is to say as you're in your home, as you're having meals, make disciples. That is potentially a call for hospitality. Welcome people into your world. Live this life out. Matthew's story is such that we want to ask ourselves, well, how do we practice hospitality? What 
are some practical steps to doing that? And I wanted to give these seven things which come from a girl named Rebecca Vanderwater. I don't know how to say her last name, but I feel like it's misspelled. But she has this little pamphlet that ha- is called, How Do I sh- Should I ex- ex- Exercise Hospitality? And she gives seven great points that I think we can just consider as I'm, I'm thinking through, okay, well, we did five weeks on hospitality. We, we spent this time to talk about how God welcomes us in, and now I want to welcome others into my world. What are some practical things that I can be thinking about as, I, as I'm praying through who to invite in? She gives seven steps. The first is to practice hospitality indiscriminately. Practice hospitality indiscriminately. It says, don't limit yourself to age or ethnicity or background. God, who, who are you going to put before me? Who's on my block that I can welcome in? Who's in my neighborhood? Who is my coworker? Who, who is someone that's different than me, that is literally a stranger to me? Again, that word hospitality is to love strangers. Who is a stranger to me that I can get to know? I, I don't want to hold back. I want to just be open to whoever you would have me welcome in. Second, she says, practice hospitality regularly. Hospitality regularly. This is asking ourselves the question: When can I or we pencil into my life or our life hospitality? When can I make this happen? Because hospitality rarely happens last minute. It, it le- rarely happens without intentionality. And so, this is asking ourselves the question: What time or or what what can I dedicate to say, "Hey, come over for a cup of coffee," or or, or come over for a meal in your home? Asking what night of the week or What's one day of the month where we can say we want to have someone over and invite them into our world? How can we make this a normal part of our life day in and day out rather than another year slipping by where we haven't had any contact with them? Third, she says, practice hospitality thoughtfully. As you get the opportunities to invite people in and and you actually encounter them, uh, we can consider the idea of thinking through, what am I going to say? What are good questions to ask this person? How, what, are, what are the needs that they have that I can press into, and what can I shut up about in my own world that I don't need to talk about? What are the needs that go with this person that I can care for, that can be thoughtful in approaching how you are hospitable to them? Don't just wait. Let's think about it. Next, she says, practice hospitality creatively. This may suggest for some that you need to go to them. This is maybe the reality is that there are some who, who can't come to you, uh, who can't get up the stairs at your house, or, 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 or just are shut in, and, and hospitality is to go to them. Maybe it's the, the widow that's down the road from you. You could go to her with a meal and welcome her in to your own house. Or, or maybe it's, it's the family down the street who you know has a chaotic life, and you just say, Hey, I know you don't have time for a full meal, but hey, can I just bring a bucket of ice cream over and some bowls and we can just dish it out and have ice cream, have dessert together? Or maybe it's, hey, I see you walking around town. Can I go on that hike with you? Or guys, if we think warmer weather, we can sit there and say, maybe what I need to do this summer is is move my barbecue grill from the back of the house and put it in the front of the house and say, hey, neighborhood, I'm going to put on some burgers if you want to come over and have one. Welcome. How can we be creative in our hospitality and welcoming people into our world? Next, and I think it's super important, is practice hospitality prayerfully. If we can think we can do this on our own without going before 
us by His Spirit, I think we're wasting our time. We need to practice hospitality, and, and I think this is interesting because we will spend a ton of time figuring out how is the house, uh, is the house nice and tidy, and, and is the meal, the recipe correct, and, and, and all these things. Are, are we good at, at making sure these things are all taken care of, and yet we forget to go before the Lord and say, Lord, is this person is coming over with love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Give me, give me your power that I can, I can actually speak something in, that you can empower me to say something that actually matters to this person so that they can know they are loved, not only by me, but by you. Go to the Lord for someone who's got your back in prayer and ask him to save their soul. We have to pray, we have to practice hospitality sacrificially. For many of you, I know this is a hard thing. For many of you, you know that it's hard to welcome people into your home or, or you're not like the outgoing extroverted, hey, I'm going to have a big party at my house. And I'm not asking you to, to do it for 30 people. I might just be asking you to invite one person over, but to give up maybe a time, an hour of your life or a spot in your life to just say, hey, Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm going to give up a little and say, this person matters to me and I have something to offer them. The reality is, is that we might be welcoming people that are way different than us. And that's a sacrifice to move to someone that we are unfamiliar with. study of hospitality, if there's something that I have come to understand, is that this is something that God has, is part of his character, it's part of who he is, it's part of how he works, and it's also what he calls us to do, is to welcome others in and invite them into our world. And as we practice it, it may not happen every time, but I would say that God is going to use us, and I don't know if he always can use us. I think we need to practice hospitality, trusting that God could actually use us for his purposes in other people's lives. So go out and practice hospitality expecting that God is going to use you. I want to leave us with a challenge. We've been in the series five weeks now. We've talked about hospitality. We've spent a lot of time on it. But I want to at least leave us with some, some marching orders. For some of you who may already be doing this, you may already be leaving this out, living this out, some of you are like, I don't know where to start. Uh, but I want us to consider one thing. Easter is in six or seven weeks. It's often a good time to invite people to church. But I think something that is probably more a challenge to us as we think about Easter coming up, that it's this many weeks away, is rather than just inviting someone to say, hey, come to church with me on Easter Sunday, I think to spend the next three weeks spending time and just write down a name or two, someone that I can pour into, someone that God is calling me to welcome them to be moved from strangers to family and go and knock on their door. Say, hey, here's a plate, take one. I'm your neighbor, I don't know you, but here. Or then go and knock on their door and say, hey, I was just wondering, is there anything I can pray for you for? Or, hey, can I have you over for dinner sometime next week or in a couple weeks? challenge us that as we are Christians, as we are trusting that the resurrected Jesus came to welcome us into his family, that we spend time leading up to Easter trying to say welcoming people into our world, and not just saying, hey, come to church, but say, hey, I want to welcome you into my world, into my home. I, I want to give to you uh, what is really important and good for me. Even if you don't know me. 
God who, who loves us so much and cares for us and welcomes us into his world. And, and as we take this communion meal, as we're going to uh, participate in this meal here, again, this idea of welcoming people into our world, it, it needs to be empowered by the reminder that God first welcomed us to this table. When Jesus met with guys like Matthew, on the night that he was betrayed, and he, he took bread, and he, he broke it, and he gave thanks to him, and he passed it out to these guys. And we remember that every first Sunday of the month where we come together at this table. And I'm actually going to read differently than the verses up on the screen. I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel, this message of, of the Lord's Supper. It says there in Matthew's Gospel that now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he had given it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, many for the forgiveness of sins. He went on to say, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, this communion Sunday where we have this fellowship meal together, I think it's interesting that Jesus welcomes them into this table. And each of us, as we step forward and take this, we, we know that this symbol doesn't save us. This coming to this table and taking some, a, a, a piece of bread and juice, that's not what saves us. It's faith in Jesus that does. But this is a grace reminder of that. That a piece of bread represents the body, which is broken for us. Flesh was there for us. And, and, and juice that, that sp- to speaks of the blood that covers over our sins. speaks of what was done, but it also is a meal that reminds us of what will happen. Note that again, he says, this is the fruit of the vine, but I will drink again this fruit in my Father's kingdom. As we come to this table, as if, if you have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you are welcome here if that is the case for you. We take this not just remembering back on what he died and did, but we remember his coming in which he says, I will have fellowship with you forever. And it's that empowerment that now we turn around and we can say, now I can give a welcome to these people into my life. And I want to introduce them into the Jesus who is welcome into this table. So after I pray, thought about this and consider what this table means and how you have been welcomed to Jesus' table, his fellowship meal, I ask you to come. But I do it knowing that we respond and we don't just stay at the table, but we go out and we desire to welcome other people in as much as we can. So in a moment, the ushers are, will, will come forward and God, I thank you this morning I thank you first Lord for knowing that we ourselves were lost helpless sheep without a shepherd strangers alien to you and you welcomed us in you did that
Thank you for welcoming us to your table. Thank you for welcoming us to a meal where you said, here, take. 